Hey there, my name is Roy, and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And we're glad that you've joined us today for Church Online. And uh, we're about to jump into a brand new series called Dear Church, where we're going to look at the seven letters in Revelation that, that Jesus wrote to the churches of that time. Now, a father was passing by his son's bedroom, and he was astonished to see that his son's bed was made all nicely and everything was packed up, packed up nice and neat. And then he saw an envelope that was propped up against his son's pillow. And it was addressed to the dad. So nervously, he took the envelope and he opened up the letter and he read the letter and here's what it said. Dear dad, it's with great sorrow that I am writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mom and you. I've decided that I'm going to marry Stacy. She's so nice, but I knew you wouldn't approve of her because of her piercings and tattoos and her tight motorcycle clothes and because she's so much older than I am. But there's something else. Stacy's pregnant. She assures me that we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood that will make it all the way through the whole winter. We share a dream of having many, many more kids. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15 years old and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure we'll be back to visit you so you can get to know your many grandchildren. Love your son, Joshua. Then the note concluded. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Jason's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that I left on the kitchen table. Call when it's safe for me to come home. Sometimes... The best way to communicate is by letter. Today, like I said, we start this new series called Dear Church. And in the book of Revelation, we find seven letters that Jesus prompted the Apostle John in his latter years to write down to the seven different churches. Now, Jesus addresses these seven literal churches during that, this time period, but it's bigger than that. Because Jesus was not only addressing the church of that time, but he was addressing the church throughout history, including today's church, including Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. So what we'll be looking at over the next seven weeks is the message Jesus had for each of these churches and what that message means for APA and the current day church. Today, we're going to look at the message given to the church in Ephesus. I encourage you this morning to just open yourself up to hearing what God might be saying to you in particular and what God might be saying to our church, to allow the Spirit of the living God just to speak to you. We're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, is where Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus. And here's what it says. I write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, angel or angelos, was the, was the Greek word that meant messenger. And the assumption here is that it's to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not, You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So as Jesus begins this, this message, this letter, this is a very encouraging start. 
I mean, the, the church in Ephesus, upon hearing these first four, uh, three verses, would be beaming at this point in the letter, but there's a but. Verse 4, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, which we will talk about this a little bit later in, in the series, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. The bottom line is this. To sum this all up in very simple, simple terms is church. There's so much to be proud of, but you've forgotten your first love. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But for some, for, for, we're going to look at some context first. We're going to look at the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was located in modern-day Turkey. It's, it's a port city. It's a large commercial center, much like if we were to uh, compare it to something today, it would be very much like New York City. It was a city of commerce and banking. It was, a, it was a city of entertainment. It was a city of knowledge. They had one of the largest, uh, largest libraries in the world. A, a library that held thousands and thousands of, of books. And Ephesus was quite proud that they were one of the major learning centers of the world. Now going back to the beginning of that letter, Jesus says, I know the good things that you do. And he mentions many of them. He's like, I've seen how hard you work. That's a good thing. I've seen how you've endured patiently. Another good thing. I know of your intolerance towards evil. But not only that, but he saw that Ephesus had, had no patience for anything that was not thought to be of the gospel. They had this, the good news, they had the gospel message passed them down literally by the apostles. And they loved the scriptures, and they protected those things. They were not prone to anyone pushing their own agenda that didn't line up with the gospel. They were quite proud of that, and it was all good things. And Jesus also says, you have patiently suffered on my behalf, and you did not quit. See, there's so much that's going on in the church in Ephesus in this moment that is right. But there's more to the story. And Jesus says it in verse 4. You don't love me like you did at first. He says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. He says, and what he's, what he's trying to say to them, and what he's trying to say to the church is, don't lose your first love. The question we have to ask is, what is what's he saying to APA in 2021? What is he saying to you and me right now? And, and it simplified, here's what it is. God wants your heart. Let me say it again. God wants your heart. Let's look quickly at some of the things that we can see when we break down these seven verses. Number one, God praises their deeds, their good deeds. See, you and I serve a God that doesn't just wait to jump on our weaknesses, wait for us to mess up and then jump all over us. He commends, he praises our good deeds. See, you need to be commended 
in, in joining today to watch this, this online service. See, for many of you, this is not your ideal way of worshiping. But here you are, you're committed to hearing God's word. You need to be commended for that. You need to be commended for your perseverance during one of the hardest times the church has seen in, any, in recent years. You need to be commended for your faithfulness. You need to be commended for your sacrificial giving. We have a church at APA that delights in serving and giving and worshiping. You need to be commended for that. We need to hear those things from time to time. But God loves us too much to just sing our praises. He doesn't just commend our good deeds. He also corrects. See, in this passage of Scripture, we see that God corrects the Ephesians when their priorities are out of whack. See, God will correct, not in a condemning way, but he will correct like a good parent. He allows us, he loves us way too much to allow our priorities to just get completely out of alignment. So we see him correct our priorities. But we also see him do this. He commands their repentance. He doesn't coddle them. He commends them. He corrects them. And then he commands them to make it right. Like if you have a parent who never confronts their kid's bad behavior or bad decisions, you have to question at some point how much that parent actually loves their child to allow them to continue doing things that they know are going to lead to their destruction. Pastor Timothy Keller says it like this. If your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. See, conviction is not a bad thing. God shows up in that letter and says, Church in Ephesus, you've done some good things, but there are some things you need to repent of. I, I love that you're working so hard. That's not a bad thing, but your work isn't the main thing. Don't get it mixed up. This happens with us as well. I mean, we can feel like we're doing so much work for God that we forget to worship. We forget who we're working for. And as if the things we do around the church appeases God. Or it's, just, it's like, I, I feel at times if I take my turn on the door, then maybe that excuses my need to worship. If I volunteer everywhere I can, I get a hall pass from God that excuses me from worshiping. God says your work is a good thing, but it's not the main thing. If you're married, this can happen to you as well. You can get caught up in doing the things for your spouse and think, well, this is all they should need. I mean, I work 60 hours a week. It should be all it takes for them to see how much I love them. But your work is an indicator, but it doesn't replace your true devotion. See, as a pastor, I have to be so careful of this myself. I have to be able to put boundaries around this because... I can get so busy prepping sermons and answering emails and visiting people in hospital and be so busy doing God's work as my profession that I get caught up in the trap of thinking, well, God, what more would you want from me? And often God convicts me of the same thing. Your work is good, but don't get it mixed up for devotion. Your work is good, but it's not what I've called you to. See, if you're not careful, you can get caught up in, the, in this trap that the things that you do are more important and you lose sight of your first love. You wake up one day and you realize 
that you've lost sight. Because you don't, you don't just wake up and you don't love God. You slowly fade in that direction. Because you made the wrong things the main thing. See, when your daily time to read the Word of God and spend time in prayer dwindles, other things will fill that void. Here's the question you have to... This is a question only you can answer. Have you lost your first love? See, think back to that time when you first made the decision to follow Jesus. You're excited. You couldn't wait to go to church. There were, the church wasn't open enough nights of the week for you. You couldn't wait to tell other people what was happening in your life right now. The words from the Bible just jumped right off the page. You got lost in the worship music. There were times where you just had goosebumps. It was just, you know, that was, there was something dramatic happening when you worship God. But now you've been a Christian for 10, 20, or 40, or 60, or more years. And if you're honest, sometimes it's just not the same anymore. You know what to do. You know what to do to be a Christian. You know what to say, when to say it. When you pray out loud, everyone around you says they sound like a Christian. But if you're really honest, maybe you've allowed your relationship with God to fade. You're at risk of abandoning your first love. If that's you today, I encourage you, switch things up, do something different. Get back into your Bible and, and, and set aside time to read it like you used to. Set aside time for prayer like you used to. Get excited about the things God's doing in your life. Start with worship. Start with gratitude. Thank God for the small things in your life. Start there. Thank Him for the family that He's giving you. Thank Him for the job that you complain about. Thank Him for the country you live in. For, thank Him for your health. Thank Him for the clean water, the roof over your head. Thank Him for the technology that you can now watch a message when church isn't allowed to be open instead of complaining about that. Start there. See, you don't just leave your first love. You slip away from it. See, when Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, you don't love me or each other as you did at first, the NIV version puts it this way, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forsaken. You've abandoned it. You've slipped away from it. Here's the context of what he wanted to say to them. See, in Ephesus, there was a temple. This was a big, big city. There were so many things that were going on in Ephesus at the time. And there was a temple that was devoted to, the, the, to a goddess named Diana, who was a fertility god. And this god was the center of this very sexualized cult. And because of that, there was so much sexual sin that took place in that city. And the men who were married to their first loves would tell their wives, I'm going to the library today. We talked about that before. They had a massive big library where there was all kinds of books and learning. There was a huge learning center. And so men would tell their wives that they were going to the library and they were going to spend the day studying and getting educated. But at the back of that library was a secret door. This secret door led to a set of stairs. And those set of stairs led to a secret tunnel that went underground across the street to a brothel. And these men would spend the day being entertained by prostitutes and wine and sin. 
And when they were done, they would travel back through that passage into the library and walk out the front door and return to their wives and children. So when Jesus says, you've done so many good things, things I'm proud of, Ephesus, but I need to correct you on something major. You've lost your first love. What Jesus was saying to the people of Ephesus was, do not forget your first love. Do not take your eyes off of your first love. Do not pursue anything with more passion than what you pursue me with. Do not be like those men in Ephesus that abandon their first love and fill the void with other things that lead to a dead end. Do not be like those men who put on a front but pursue things that are meaningless and fruitless and ultimately lead to their destruction. Do not put on the back burner the most important relationship that you have just to entertain a superficial relationship with the prostitutes of this world. He says, be true to your first love. It's for your own good that you stay committed to me. APA. It's for your own good as a church we stay committed to our first love. See, what God wants most from you and what he wants most from me is it's not your time. It's not your finances. It's not your volunteer hours or anything else, which are all good things, which are all indicators of where your relationship with God is. But what he wants most from you is your heart. See, God is committed to you. He wants you, if you find yourself that you faded a little bit, to come back to your first love. Maybe today in your, your heart of hearts, you'd admit that your relationship with God isn't where it used to be. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and things have kind of become routine. Things have gotten a little bit stale. Maybe today it's time to recommit. Maybe, it's, maybe today is the day where you start new, a fresh start. Like a couple that renews their vows, you need to decide that you're going to recommit to your first love. Maybe today you've never made the decision to commit to follow Jesus. You've tuned in this morning, you've heard me talk about this relationship, and you'd say, I haven't lost my first love because I've never made that decision. Can I tell you today? If you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, it's the best thing you will ever do. Having a relationship with Jesus isn't going to fix all your immediate problems. But what it will do is it will set you on a path. And on that path, you will have a God to turn to when things get tough. A God that cares for you, that loves you, and wants the best for you. And on this path, as you get to know the heart of God and who he really is and how deeply he cares about you, you will discover what he wants for you as a person. And you will begin to see a transformation that you never thought possible when you follow Jesus. And most importantly, by making a decision to follow Jesus, God will give you a sense of purpose and a place in heaven for eternity. And all it is, it's a matter of acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took that burden of sin on his shoulders. And as a result, when you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you have a place in eternity. If you haven't made that decision, and you would like to make that decision today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me these words. 
I'm also going to ask anyone who's listening, even if you've made that decision before, to pray these words with me as well. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, God, I commit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I acknowledge that you died for my sins. And that by dying for my sins, you paved a way for me in heaven. God, I I give you my heart. God, I give you my soul. And God, I ask for forgiveness for my sins. Amen. Let me just pray also for those of you that have called yourself Christians for a long time. Maybe things have gotten a little bit stale. Let's just pray. Lord, I pray for those out there that are, have been Christians a long, long time. They've heard all the stories. They've read through the Bible numerous times. They've been in church more times than they can count. They've heard more sermons than they could ever, ever hold. And yet, Lord, there was a time where their fire for you ran hot. And if there's some that will admit today that it's not where it once was. Maybe they've allowed some things to get in the way and they've taken their eyes off their first love. And yet they want to be as committed as they always have been. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would remind them of what's important. That it's not the things that they do. It's not the the tasks that they, they, they do. It's not how much they give. It's none of those things. What you want is their heart. So God, I pray that you would rekindle that fire that, for that relationship with you. I pray that they would see things in a brand new light. And God, a church that is on fire for you and that prioritizes our relationship and our worship with you over everything else cannot be stopped. And that's what we need in this community right now, God. A church that is on fire for you. And so God, I pray that you would rekindle that in each of us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.